If I were to ask you what is your greatest fear, or if you were to ask me what my greatest fear, or one of my greatest fear is, I would tell you that one of my greatest fear is cockroaches, especially the flying variety. If you ever hear screaming from our house, it is because I've seen a cockroach. Spiders don't scare me. Lizards are not a problem. Cockroaches, that's another story. When I see one, I yell for my wife because God put me with a spouse who isn't afraid of them. She picks them up by the antenna, and often uh, when she does, to spite me, she will dangle them in front of me and say, what are you scared of? You're more than 200 pounds, while this little cockroach weighs less than an ounce. My response, often not very amused, is just kill it. And don't laugh at me because some of you are the very same way. Cockroaches aside, more seriously, what are some of your greatest fears in life as it relates to life? For many people, people I've come across and talked with, there are three things in life they are generally desiring of, and therefore the absence of those things are things that fear that they that they fear. For many people, firstly, they want that their success is guaranteed. They want to keep on winning in life. They want to be successful in all that they do. And what gives them fear in life is that they fear failure. That would be one of their greatest fears if they were to fail, if they no longer succeeded in life. A second area that we want is security. We want that our security is assured. We want to make sure that our money is secured, that we won't lose it. We want to make sure that we're happy and healthy. We want to make sure that we're physically protected. And so the greatest fear for these people is somehow when their security is threatened, when they get sick physically, when someone attacks them, or when they lose something. The third area that we all want is to make sure that our legacy is certain. We want to be remembered by succeeding generations. We want to be immortalized. And therefore, the greatest fear we have in our life is to be forgotten or to be made irrelevant. These three fears in life are what God is going to bring to the nation of Assyria because of their opposition to God and His people. This morning, as we continue our study in the book of Nahum, we're reminded in this book that God is prophesying against the nation of Assyria, specifically the city of Nineveh, their capital. And as we look in these verses, we want to draw out some principles to see how a rightfully wrathful God can bring about our greatest fears to fruition for those who do not humble themselves before the Lord. When we do not humble ourselves, the rightful, wrathful God They bring about our greatest fears in life. And yet, in the same vein, there is a very loving God who instead of bringing fear in our life, brings about the greatest dreams of our life to those who return to Him, to those who trust Him, to those who place their life in His hands. 
Let's study this in detail this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Nahum, and we pick up our study in chapter 1, verse 9. And we're going to be going to chapter 2, verse 2, as we study these nine verses. Nahum, chapter 1, verse 9, to chapter 2, verse 2. We're going to be talking about the three fears of life and how God dispenses them in the nation of Assyria, and then draw out some biblical principles, and then in contrast, how He brings three dreams the dreams of one's life, specifically in the nation of Israel, a people who will turn back to God. Let's take a look in verse 9 to 11 at the first fear. If you're taking notes, fear number one. Success will come to an end. Fear number one, your success will come to an end. We're going to see here in these three verses God's ability to destroy His enemies, in this case Nineveh. And we're going to see how He brings about Nineveh's fear that their success will come to an end. Verse 9 reads this. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. For while tangled like thorns and while drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like stubble fully dried. From you come forth one who plots evil against the Lord. A wicked counselor. The Bible tells us that even though Assyria was successful historically in attacking the land of Israel, attacking God's people, and it was in the past that God allowed such things, God says now in verse 9 that He will remove their ability to succeed. Why do you conspire against the Lord? The question is raised, because now He will make an utter end of it. God will remove their ability to succeed. When God doesn't allow us to succeed, we do not succeed. The conspiracy against God will end. It is the end of the line for the nation of Assyria. They will no longer cease to exist as an empire. And historically, the Bible tells us, God's word holds true. They are never able to conquer the city of Jerusalem. In fact, if you were wanting to go to the modern day country of Iraq today, I don't know why you would, and if you were to look for the city of Nineveh, this once greatest of cities in the ancient Near East, now lies in ruin. God's word holds true. He says he makes an utter end of it all. If you look at verse 10, it speaks of the fact that the city will not stand up to God's fiery judgment upon them. And in verse 11, it reminds us that it is not because God's anger is unwarranted. It's because the nation of Assyria plotted against God, plotted against His people. And here in verse 11, the wicked counselor most probably refers to King Shinasarab, who held out his fist against God and opposed God. And the Bible tells us those who plot evil against the Lord, their success will come to an end. My friends, this is a good reminder for us that we need to fully realize that if God does not allow your plan to succeed, your success will come to an end. It is as simple as that. And if it is our fear that we are not successful in life, if it is our fear 
that what we have good that's going on in our life ends, should we not be trusting more in God who can make success happen or can allow success to cease? You see, my friends, if God chooses to take away His hand of blessing from your life, you will not prosper. Proverbs 28 verse 13 tells us that if we conceal our sin, if we live in sin, we shall not prosper. I think this is an important lesson for us to learn because so many of us correlate their self-worth with their worldly success, meaning the more successful we are, the more proud one becomes. This was true in the case of Nineveh. They thought they could never lose, and so they became overconfident. But God said, your greatest fear will come to pass. Your glory days are over. Your success will end. In the book, The Road Ahead, Bill Gates notes this. Success is a lousy teacher. It seduces smart people into thinking they can't lose. And it's an unreliable guide to the future. What seems the perfect business plan or the latest technology today may soon be as out of date as the 8-track tape player, the vacuum tube television, or the mainframe computer. Success is a lousy teacher. It seduces smart people into thinking they can't lose. Can you imagine hearing those words from our Lord? The end has come for you. You have not lived a life according to my biblical principles. You have opposed me. You have sinned. When we take our lives out of the hand of God, our greatest fear may come to fruition. The fear that our success will come to an end. So keep humble, my friends. In verses 12 to 13, the second of Nineveh's fear comes to pass. And here's fear number two. Your security is no longer assured. Your security is no longer assured. The people of Nineveh were assured that they were fully secured behind what they thought was the impregnable walls of their city, this massive city with hundreds of thousands of people, and they lived in the security of knowing that there were so many people living in their city. They possibly were in the safest place in the world, they thought. But look what the Lord says in verses 12 to 13. Thus says the Lord, Though they are safe, and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down when he passes through. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you more, no more. For now I will break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. In verse 12, the audience shifts from the Assyrians to the people of Israel. God was saying, as words of encouragement to Israel, those Assyrians thought they were safe and secure because they found safety behind their city walls and safety in number. The Bible says, I will cut them down. The security of the city and their numbers are no match for God. In fact, in verse 13, the destruction of the Assyrian Empire is similar to the breaking of the yoke around the beast of burden's neck. 
And their greatest fear came true. Their security was shattered. It was no longer assured. I wonder in your life, have you ever had your computer hacked? Have you ever had anything stolen? Have you ever had your credit card number stolen and used? Have you ever been kidnapped? Do you remember what happens after your security has been shattered? You begin to feel very vulnerable. You feel afraid. You feel like that which has never happened before will happen soon again. It is not a good feeling. You begin to do things you didn't do before. You become more cautious. You maybe hire a few bodyguards. You become afraid because you thought it would never happen to you and it happened to you. Your security was shattered and therefore your assurance goes out the window. So you've got to ask yourself the question, what is it or in whom do you place your trust in today? God says and reminds us that physical object, the things in the world in which we place our trust can easily be removed by Him, can be taken away by Him, and it will cause us to fear. You've seen companies fail that shouldn't have failed. The electronic giant Nokia. Some of you perhaps were affected by the insurance educational plans that went insolvent. Or perhaps you were shocked that the once great investment bank Lehman Brothers simply is no more losing billions of dollars for their customers. In fact, it doesn't matter the number of friends you have. Your friends may abandon you. The sheer number of your friends doesn't mean anything. Look what verse 12 says. Though they are safe and likewise many in number, yet they will be cut down when He passes through. And here's the visual here in verse 12. You may be hiding in your human secure spot, thinking that nothing can happen to you, but God can spot you out from among your hiding places. And if you place your trust in the world, then the Bible says your greatest fears will come true because one day your security will no longer be assured. Physical structures can be destroyed by fire, by typhoons, by earthquake, and every other natural disaster. And this is exactly what happened to the nation of Assyria. I remember reading uh, an article in the Daily Bread speaking about a basketball coach, a very famous one, who also served as a network sports announcer. Throughout his colorful coaching career, this coach had been obsessed with the game and with winning. But years later, he was stricken with cancer, and he began to come to the realization of the triviality of the goods and values in which he had been so passionately devoted And he writes these words. You get sick and say to yourself, sports mean nothing. And that feels terrible. Because he had spent little time with his wife and children, he confessed, I figured I'd have 20 years in the big time. Who knows? Maybe win three national titles and then pack it in and retire at age 53 or 54. I was going to make it all up to them all the time I'd been away to my family. But it sounds so silly now. But it went on and on. 
that insatiable desire to conquer the world. Many of us live with the insatiable desire to conquer the world, to build systems, and to build friendships that we believe will be the security of our life. But if one is honest with themselves, if we don't place our trust in the hands of God, our security cannot be assured. Catastrophes can happen any time in our lives. Something we should be aware of. The third fear, look at verse 14. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Fear number three, your legacy will no longer be perpetuated. The Lord turns back and addresses the Assyrians, and He tells them He's given a command, presumably to His angelic administrators, His angels. And he tells them all, the Assyrian Empire, their name and their legacy will no longer be perpetuated. The fear of many. They will no longer be relevant. No one will remember them. Historically, the empire did not last a generation after this prophecy. And if you weren't students of the Bible, and we weren't studying the book of Nahum, and you didn't know anything about ancient world history, you wouldn't even know about the city of Nineveh or the Assyrian people. It's not common knowledge. Why? Because they're no longer relevant. How will you feel when one day you become irrelevant? No one will remember you. No one will think about you. No one will care what name you have. You see, in verse 14, God said He would destroy the Assyrian idols and images, which were the symbols of what they believed made them powerful, or so they thought. And the removal of these idols and images was a very visible statement that these false gods are useless compared to God, Yahweh, who was all-powerful. God says at the end of verse 14, I will dig the grave of your empire. You will be remembered no more. Your legacy will no longer be perpetuated. In our Asian culture, legacies are important, especially amongst the Chinese. You and I need to understand that we live in this culture that apart from God, who has the power to grant or to remove legacies, our man-made desire for legacy is a very futile attempt. You know, you can try to force your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren to try to remember you, but they won't. You know from looking at your friends and other people that when you're gone, that unless there's someone in the family who remembers to call the family together, it just doesn't happen that the family remembers the past. We all have very short memories We just simply don't remember. How many of you remember the national championship for the NBA 10 years ago or even the runner-up? How many of you remember the year you were baptized? How many of you remember the pastor who officiated your wedding? 
I've often asked people, who was the pastor who baptized you? They can't remember. It's a sad fact. This of what should have been a, a great spiritual highlight in their life, and they can't remember a thing. How many of you remember the day you became a Christian? You see, we simply do not remember. Mankind is very short memory. And so how do we perpetuate our legacy? How can we be remembered? How can we be relevant? It's that we put our hands in the life of God, in the hands of the one who, the Bible tells us, is the one who distributes legacy. You know, it's very interesting as we think about people who remember. If I were to ask you, do you know Abraham Lincoln? Everyone knows Abraham Lincoln, it seems. They may not know the Filipino presidents, but they know Abraham Lincoln, a foreign president of, of America. Napoleon, you know. Hudson Taylor, many of you know, the great missionary to China. It's a wonderment sometimes. There is no rhyme or reason why some people are remembered and others are not. Because who is the one that controls legacies and perpetuates them? It is God. And God says to His angelic realm, the nation of Assyria will be remembered no more because they stood in opposition to me. And that's exactly what happened. You know, when I drive down to Manila and you go to Benondo, you know that there are many buildings named after people. Buildings that I know they put their names there because they want to be immortalized, remembered. Lim building, Ko, Chua, so on and so forth. I'm sure when they had those buildings built and they had their names put up there, they thought that they would be remembered forever. But let me ask you this. As you drive down downtown Chinatown, Manila, how many of you know the history behind half of those buildings? The new generation simply doesn't know or doesn't care. It should be a real fear in your life if that's something you live for. That unless God perpetuates your legacy, you will no longer be remembered. Scary thought. Now this portrayal of God isn't very nice, is it? God brings about the greatest fears of our life for those who stand in opposition to Him, to those who sin, to those who do not trust Him. But the wonderful thing is in the book of Nahum, Nahum contrasts the God who is rightfully wrathful with the God who is eternally loving. And here in verses 15, the chapter 2, verse 2, we see a God who blesses those who love. And instead of granting those fears to come to fruition, He grants that our greatest dreams will come true. Because those who trust in the Lord do not need to fear that their fears will come to pass. They can understand that their dreams will come true. Look at dream number one, verse 15. Behold, on the mountains, the feet of Him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feasts. Perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. 
the Lord God promises Israel, one who has turned back to Him, that their dream will come true, number one, that your true success will come in God's hands. Nahum says to the Israelites, there is coming from the mountains a man, a messenger in the future, one who will bring good news to the people of Israel, and with it a message of peace. In the future, Israel will experience eternal peace. Her dream will be realized. Her true success will come to pass. And they will be able to observe their feasts without any problems. No one will bother them. Why? Because the Bible says their enemy has been dealt with. For the wicked one, verse 15, shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. I want you to understand something important. When your enemy or those who stand in opposition to you has been cut off, guess what? Success is guaranteed. If you are an owner of business and all your competitors go away, guess what? Will you be successful? Absolutely. That's the point. Or if someone is running for an election unopposed, even even though you're running for election and you're unopposed, that means victory is guaranteed. It is assured. And, And that's the idea of being presented here. Because there is no longer any opposition, because God is taking care of the opposition, success is guaranteed. As a side note, this verse may sound familiar because Paul quotes from the first part of this verse in Romans chapter 10, verse 15, to remind us of the messengers of the gospel who also bring good news. The message of the gospel is a message of peace. Success is found only in God's hands because it is He who can get rid of the opposition. It is He who gets rid of those who are your enemies so that success can be guaranteed. In May 10th of 1996, John Krakauer, an adventurer who's written many books, finally reached the summit of Mount Everest. Several of his fellow climbers had died on the way, and you can read about this fascinating journey in his book, uh, Into the Air. Later he wrote, I understand on some dim, detached level that it was a spectacular sight. I've been fantasizing about this moment and the release of emotion that would accompany it for many months. But now that I'm finally here, standing on the summit of Mount Everest, I just couldn't summon the energy to care. And I share this illustration because so many people work so hard to try to find success in their life apart from God that when they reach what they believe is the pinnacle of their success, it isn't what it's cracked up to be. I just couldn't sum up the energy to care. Because we've worked so hard We've worked so hard, and when we get there, it didn't seem like it was worth it. But when you have placed your life in the hands of God, who does the work for you and takes care of the opposition, that your guarantee, your success is guaranteed, that is when success is satisfying. I want you to think about that concept. Success is most satisfying when you do the least amount of work to get the greatest blessing. 
That's exactly what God promised. Let me do the work. I will grant you success. True success comes in the hands of God. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Dream number 2. He who scatters has come up before your face. Man the fort, watch the road, strengthen your flanks, fortify your power mightily. Nahum is speaking to the Assyrians here. And he says, God says he will scatter you. He who scatters has come up before your face. You can try to man the defenses of your walls, of your fort. You can station lookouts on the road that lead into the city. You can guard your weak sides and your flanks. You can strengthen yourself. But no matter what, you will be destroyed. And historically, they were scattered by the combined forces of the Medes and the Babylonians. It was the power of the Lord God who used these two nations to overthrow the great Assyrian Empire. You see, as previously stated, when the opposition has been destroyed, there not only will be the assurance of success, but there is security. You see, for Israel, their dream came true when they put their lives in the hand of God. You see, your security is absolutely guaranteed in God's hand. Your security and my security is absolutely guaranteed in God's hand. In the Christian life, when God destroyed the enemy at the cross, we can be victorious. In fact, we talk about the victorious Christian life. It is the truth. When we celebrate communion... And remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It is a victory celebration. And so we celebrate the victory every first week of the month in our church. When we take of communion, it is a reminder that our security is assured. Look what else verse 1 tells us of chapter 2. Who is fighting the battle? It's not God and the Israelites. It is God Himself alone. You see, in battle, if you're not fighting, you can't die. Does that make sense? If you're not fighting, you can't die. Your physical well-being is assured if you just sit back and let someone else do the fighting for you. And the Bible tells us it is He, God, who scatters, has come up before your face. If there is one fighting in your place and you can sit back, you are totally secure And if that victory is assured, you're even more secure. You don't have to worry. Your protection is guaranteed. People often ask me, Pastor, how can you say that God protects when people get into accidents? Right? Does God really protect? I said, I think you need to change your perspective. He's always protecting you. How many days are there in a year? 365. And if you're a bit more scientific, in a quarter... 365 and a quarter days. How many hours are in that year? 8,766 hours. How many minutes in that year? 525,960. I think that's a song. How many seconds in a year? 31,557,600 seconds in a year. All those times, who is protecting you? Because if one second of your life could be the end of your life, every year 
31 million seconds of your life is securely in the hands of God. And over a lifetime, if you live up to the age of 70, you have been protected 2.2 billion seconds. Who are you and I to complain that God does not protect us? He protects us every day. And even if we were to get into an accident and this life ends, immediately we are taken, if we place our trust in Jesus, into glory. In the hands of God, your life and my life are absolutely secure. We don't have to fear. Verse 2. For the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob like the excellence of Israel. For the emptiers have emptied them out and ruined their vine branches. The focus comes back to the people of Israel. God promised that He would restore Israel to their former glory. And from the Scriptures, we know that they will even experience greater glory in the Millennial Kingdom. It would utterly frustrate the emptiers, the nations that have plundered and pillaged the land of Israel because God would restore Israel back to excellence. And for a people who trust in God, their third dream comes true. Their legacy will always be perpetuated in the hands of God. Our legacies, we don't have to worry about. Because in the hands of God, our legacies are always perpetuated. You and I who want to be remembered, will be remembered if we place our lives in His hand. And the example is the Jewish people. As a nation, they were kicked out by General Titus in 70 AD after the Jewish revolt in the first century. Kicked out of Palestine. For more or less 2,000 years, they were not in the land And yet in 1948, history tells us, in the Bible actually, that Israel would return back to their land, and they did. No one remembers the nations that occupied the land before that, but God Himself, true to His Word, allowed Israel to be remembered forever. God will fully restore them in the millennium as He has promised The nation of Israel is a picture of how God deals with us. You and I may think that you and I are nobodies in this world. We don't have the monetary capacity to put our names on any building. But at the resurrection, in the millennium, all of us who have worked for the Lord will be recognized for all eternity. Our work done for the Lord are recorded in the annals of heaven, kept in heaven's permanent record for all eternity. That is exactly what the Bible says. So, for example, if you were to give up your seat on the bus for an elderly person because you want to show them the love of Jesus Christ, something as innocuous as giving up your seat for someone else to show them the love of Christ, it will be remembered for all eternity more than your name on a building on earth which you have placed there so that man would remember you. Those buildings will be gone. But that which you have done for the Lord will be remembered forever. Why? Because the one who grants legacies 
is the one who remembers. So if it is your fear that you will no longer be relevant or remembered, then if you put your hands in the life of the Lord, you don't have to worry about your legacy. I don't worry about my legacy. I don't worry how people will remember me. What's most important is how God remembers me. Because that legacy will last forever. So my friends, the choice is yours. Do you want to live a life in opposition to God, in sin, not trusting in Him, so that the worst fears of your life will come true? Or do you want to live a life where your life is in the hands of God, fully trusting in Him to grant success in life, to give you a security that will never fail, and to give you a long-lasting legacy? Do you want your fears to come true? Or do you want your dreams to come true? The choice is yours. May God give you the wisdom to make a wise choice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that as the sovereign God, it is in your hands that we can place our life. A God who can grant us our dreams of success, of security assured, of a legacy perpetuated. And many of us live for ourselves using our own human ways to guarantee those things. Thank you for the reminder from the book of Nahum that tells us those that we fear the most to lose may come to pass if we stop trusting in you. So we want to trust you fully this morning. May each heart this morning be challenged to live their life for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.